I'm going to read a passage from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Good morning again to everybody. Uh, just real quick announcement just to kind of make sure you haven't forgot about it. Don't let it creep up on you. We are going to be having our fall fest again this year. And so the planning is going on. I hope that in your small group, you're looking at your booth and how you want to contribute. And if you're not sure how you can help and you want to be involved, Tim Gill is your man. Give him a call and he will plug you in and get you involved. Okay? So, uh, if you're new to Greater Alton or if this is your first week here, uh, my name is Alan. And you've actually caught us in the middle of, or the beginning stages of, a sermon series entitled, You Want Me to Do What? And what we've been looking at is the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus used idioms and hyperbole and references that are often unfamiliar to us. And sometimes the things that Jesus asks us to do seem beyond our ability. But we also know that he never asks us to do the impossible. So it makes us sometimes scratch our head and ask, you want me to do what? Even when we break past all the language barrier, sometimes it's still a little staggering. What is it exactly you want me to do? But Jesus is king. I mean, that's what the gospel really is. If you wanted to reduce the gospel down to the simplest phrase, the simplest understanding of it, the gospel, the good news is, is that Jesus is king. And if he is king, then it is vitally important that we understand what it is he wants us to do. Makes sense, right? Well, the largest collection we've got of his teachings where he's telling us what to do, we find in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And yet, as we read through it, how many times do we end up asking, you want me to do what? Last week and the week before, we dealt with Jesus' first couple of sayings. After the Beatitudes, Jesus starts to teach this lesson and explain what he wants his people to do. And he makes these statements, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And whenever you first read those, it's like, and you want me to do what? <laughs> I'm salt, I'm light. And I walked away from that study, and I hope I persuaded you to see it this way, that Jesus is saying, I want you to help me. I want you to help me change the world. Salt and light affect the environment that they're in. And Jesus wants us to help him. He is changing the world. Our world is very different than it was 2,000 years ago. There's more light in the world than there ever was before. There's more salt in the world than there ever was before. But right on the heels of Jesus making that statement, he says what Mark just read. 
Are you guys familiar with that passage? Okay, if you're familiar with it, then we're probably good, and we can just kind of quit and go get lunch and catch the football game. We can even catch the pregame, right? So we're, oh, you're not. Okay, then you want me to do what? I mean, Jesus is saying that he's not out to do away with the law and the prophets and that we're going to have to go further than the scribes and the Pharisees if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does he want us to do? Well, if we're going to answer that question in this passage, I think we're going to need to make sure that we're up to speed with who and what he's talking about. Make sense? So let's try to get on the same level playing field that his original hearers were. First question is, is who were the scribes and Pharisees? Who were they? Were these the bad guys? No, they weren't all bad guys. There were for sure there were some bad guys in amongst this group, but they were actually the heroes of the Jewish faith. They were the heroes because they were the guys that knew all the rules. They were the guys who had studied the Bible from stem to stern, and they knew all the rules. They even had come up with some very clever rules to keep you from breaking the rules that were in the Bible. And their history of of the Jewish people was God had created a nation out of one old, old dude. And he he said, this is going to be my people. And through them, I'm going to bless the rest of the earth. I'm going to get everybody back through this family. And yet, over and over and over again through the history of Israel, they just kept messing it up. They couldn't keep the rules, and so they even got exiled. They lost their kingdom. They lost their land. They got exiled off to Babylon. When they got back, they said, we are not going to mess this up anymore. We are going to get the rules right. So they got tenacious these scribes and Pharisees, about trying to know all the rules, all the do's and don'ts. And so they were the heroes to a lot of people. Well, what are the law and the prophets? The Old Testament. Actually, at that time, they didn't call it the Old Testament. You know what they called it? The Testament. Because there wasn't a new one. The new one was being written. It was on its way, but it hadn't gotten there yet. So that all of the Old Testament, the law is what Moses brought. He gave them the rules, went to Mount Sinai, met God face to face, came down with a tablet full of ten, right? And then again, as you do your Old Testament study, you start seeing Israel would mess up, and so here would come some more laws. And Israel would mess up, and here would come some more laws. I think they ended up with 613 613. And then again, the scribes and Pharisees managed to multiply that and make a few more to try to make sure that that was all being obeyed. But the law and the prophets that Jesus is talking about not going to be doing away with is the Old Testament. Why would people think that Jesus was going to do away with the Old Testament, with the law and the prophets? I mean, he's, he's asking a question that nobody, he's answering a question that nobody seems to be asking. But I think actually maybe they were asking that question, don't you? See, Jesus was always getting into trouble with guess who? Scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the heroes who knew all the rules. Why was he always in trouble with them? 
Because he always looked like he was breaking the rules. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, it seems like Jesus is going out of his way to do miracles on the Sabbath, which just made their heads spin around and twisted them up and brought out the very worst in them. In fact, like I said, as a group, they were not bad guys, but you had some bad guys in that group. And one time, even in John 8, you see that they had a woman that they'd caught in adultery. How did they catch her in adultery? We don't know. There's kind of some text behind the text that kind of looks like they set the woman up too. And they did it specifically to try to corner Jesus and trip him up. And you'll read about it in verses 5 and 6. They said to Jesus, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? I mean, that's kind of telling the way that they even phrase the question, isn't it? They must have known that Jesus wasn't going to be quick to have this woman killed. I think that says something wonderful about our Savior. I mean, doesn't that just make you love Him? Everybody else would condemn her. The heroes of their religion used this woman. Even knowing it might cost her her life. And Jesus has this amazing answer. I mean, He's just like a total ninja. Yeah. And he cuts them off, and, and it's just amazing what he does. And go back and read that story. But there was this big question, Jesus, are you changing the rules? Do you think that maybe the same thing that happened to the scribes and Pharisees can happen to us? I think so. See, we ask questions like, will I go to hell if I do this or if I don't do that? Heard those questions around here? Have you maybe asked them? How about the question, how far can I go with this or that before it's a sin? Ah, what are we doing when we ask questions like that? I think we're looking for the fence. I think we're looking for the fence. We're trying to see how far we can go. Danny and Tim will, will talk about raising pigs. Anybody here raise livestock? What kind of livestock did you raise, Susan? You raise pigs. What do pigs do when you put them in a pen? Are they known for getting out? <laughs> okay, we got a few people that are, that are familiar with pigs. I think sometimes we're like the pigs. We want to know where the rules are. We want to know where the boundaries are. And as soon as someone shows us the fence, we start trying to find a way to poke a hole in the fence. We start trying to find out if there's a way out of this. Can I slip out? Can I come back in? How far can I go? What we do is we're looking for the rules. We ask questions like those that I just posed to you. We're almost like cattle trying to find our way out of a fence. And the way we do it is we look for the rules and then we inevitably look for the loopholes. Right? You know, some time ago, I got to teaching on alcohol in Christian circles. If you're not familiar, the drinking and consumption of alcohol is a controversial subject. What I found is I found some people that wanted a hard and fast rule or a fence that went four feet down, 12 feet up and banked back this way with Constantine wire across the top, razor wire, so that nobody should ever drink if you're a Christian. I found others that were like, 
hey, wait a second, there's a little wiggle room right here. Can't I slip through and grab a drink as long as I don't get drunk? In both cases, both camps, I think we're maybe falling into the same thing that the scribes and the Pharisees fell into. They're looking for the rules. Let me ask you this. Do you like it when someone seems to be messing with your fence? You've all got fences, don't you? You know, whether you're here this morning as a Christian, been a Christian for a while, or you've never been a Christian and you're just exploring what this faith is all about, every one of us have come up with fences, come up with rules. We learned them from our parents, didn't we? If we didn't learn from our parents, or maybe in addition to our parents, we learned them from teachers and preachers and denominations. And you come to a point where you think you know where the boundaries are. And what happens whenever someone challenges that and says, I think maybe you understand that wrong. You can get defensive. You can get offended. You can lash out. Don't you mess with my fence. Okay, you guys got the picture. <laughs> I, I can see this crowd is familiar with, the, with the, where we're at. And this is the scribes and Pharisees. I don't think that they intended to be bad guys. Not all of them anyway. But yet they had a problem. And Jesus says, you're going to have to do better than them if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that up the ante for us? Okay. I think we've got the stage just about set here. Whenever Jesus starts this, the first thing he says is that he didn't change the rules. Everybody thought he had. He said, I didn't come to change the rules. I didn't come to move the fence. Instead, he came to fulfill those rules. That's what he said, right? What does that mean? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you what I, what I think it means. Jesus is what the law and the prophets were always intended to produce. Why did we have all those rules? To produce someone like Jesus. To produce Jesus. Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the culmination of the law. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The law brought together produced Jesus. See, the law and the prophets weren't just there to set boundaries for us to see if we could pass some sort of a test. They weren't there just to see if we could be good enough. They were there to point us to something bigger, something way more wonderful than rules. So where does this take us? I think it takes us to the fact that Jesus doesn't want me to forget the Old Testament. How many of us have thought that? You know, the Old Testament was the Old Testament. I, I used to think that. In fact, I used to think that, I used to get confused. You know, God was always killing people in the Old Testament for reasons I didn't understand. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus is raising them from the dead for reasons I didn't understand. And I kind of thought maybe God went through a change of heart. <laughs> Maybe had a personality overhaul, or maybe Jesus was the, the soft side of love, and God in the Old Testament was the tough side of love. I didn't understand what was really going on. But God is the same. He's never been different. And Jesus doesn't want me to forget about the Old Testament and just focus on the new. 
He doesn't want me to just give up on the law or the rules. Instead, what he says to us is, I want you to go deeper into the Bible. I want you to go deeper into the Bible. See, I think Jesus wants me, if he's saying this about the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, we've got to go do better than they did. I think what that means is he wants me to dig deeper into the Bible and get beyond the rules to why the rules were given. What were these rules about? What were they, what were they supposed to achieve? I think he wants us to do that because those rules, those laws, the Old Testament reveals who God is. It reveals what he's like. And it also tells us about what he's doing and where this is all going. He wants me to go beyond looking for rules and instead find the heart of God. You see why it's so problematic if we get caught up on questions like, if I do this, am I going to go to hell? If I don't do that, am I going to go to hell? How far can I go before it becomes a sin? See, that's what I think the scribes and the Pharisees got caught up in. And Jesus said, if we give in to that, we're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Instead, what he wants us to do is let those rules show us who God really is. But to do that, we're going to have to go deeper. See, the law still teaches us about God. Everything in the Old Testament still teaches us about God, who He is and what He's like. Now, it's true that the law had both what you could call moral laws and ceremonial laws. And I'm not going to try to give you an Old Testament survey today. I know I would just spend a lot of time and do it half justice. But the ceremonial laws, we don't have anymore. Jesus fulfilled them. They don't, they aren't needed anymore. They serve their purpose. But the moral laws still exist. In fact, they always existed. They existed before they were written down on the Ten Commandments. You know why? Because they are a representation of who God is. The moral laws tell us about God because He's like this. God hasn't changed. And the law still reveals God's heart. Okay, how many of you guys have been disciples, uh, apprentices of Jesus for a little while now? What kind of methods, what kind of materials have been used to help you learn how to be like Jesus, to follow him? What if, if you've got that in your head, what if I said we're going to forget all that, we're not even going to pay attention to the New Testament, we're going to teach people how to follow Jesus out of the Old Testament? How many of you go, wait, what? Huh? I mean, I thought that the Old Testament was a little bit more like Aesop's fables. You know, you go back, you pick out a story, you learn a little lesson, (laughs) and you keep going. Did you know that for the first several generations of Christianity, all they had to teach someone how to follow Jesus was the Old Testament? It was during that time period that Paul wrote this to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16. A verse that's very familiar to a lot of us. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. How many of us realize that when he says all scripture, he's talking just about the Old Testament? They didn't have the New Testament. 
a lot of the discipling materials that we use focus on the New Testament, which is fine, because the New Testament explains the Old. I mean, how many times are you reading and you see that little letter, if you if you're at your Bible, and there's this little letter that's out to the side of something that Jesus says. If you click on that, I mean, today, usually on electronic media, if you've got your old school... Yeah, don't, don't just try to click on a page. <laughs> you, but you can follow the footnotes. But you can click on it, and you know what it'll pull up for you? Something out of the Old Testament. And here's a little freebie. Whenever you see that, read the whole chunk that that is coming in, whenever you're reading the Old Testament. Because most of the time, whenever the guys, one of the New Testament authors, are quoting something in the Old Testament, they give you a little chunk, but they're really trying to bring to mind everything that's coming out in this passage. And so for the very first several generations of being a Christian, all they used was the Old Testament. How did they become like Jesus through the Old Testament? Especially when the scribes and Pharisees didn't. The scribes and Pharisees turned into lawyers and rule keepers. And the first several generations of our brothers and sisters in Christ did not. They became like Jesus. What was the difference? It wasn't different material. They used the same material, but I think they used it in a different way. They went deeper than the rules and the doctrines. Do rules and doctrines matter? Absolutely. But if you stop with rules and doctrines, you're going to miss the heart of God. See, when they went deeper in the Bible, they learned the heart of God. And when they learned that, they could see God in and through Jesus. And so can you and I. And I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. I want you to go deeper in the Bible because you've got to get deeper than just rules. We're told in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What they used to do whenever they would send a letter is they'd seal it with wax and then they'd, someone with a ring that had like a family crest or some sort of an official seal would press that in there and it would leave an exact impression of the ring. We're all familiar with this, right? Jesus is that of God. Like I said, I, I grew up thinking there was a big difference between God's attitude and Jesus's. No. No, Jesus is exactly like God always was. I think that's a big point. In fact, in John 14, 9, he told the guys, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Seeing Jesus is seeing God. But to see him, you're going to have to get past just looking for rules. You're going to have to go deeper. Jesus is the Word. He's God. And he is the Bible. John 1, 1 through 5 says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus wasn't created at Bethlehem. Jesus always existed. In the beginning, he was there. He was the Word in the beginning. He wasn't known as Jesus. He was known as Logos, the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. That should be taking us back to what we looked at last week. 
Jesus is the light. Now he says we are the light. If we're going to be the light, we need to know what his light is all about. And we can't do that superficially. We can't stop with just rules. We're going to have to go deeper than that. We're going to have to look for the heart of God. When you go deeper in the Bible, you go deeper into Jesus. And when you go deeper into Jesus, you go deeper into who? God. And you begin to see past the rules, and you begin to see God's heart. What He always wanted, what He's really like. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, almost everything Jesus says had been said earlier. Almost everything that He teaches in the, in the Sermon on the Mount had been taught somewhere earlier in the Law and the Prophets. Usually you'll find them in the Psalms or the Prophets. He wasn't just making up new standards. In fact, in each one of the statements where Jesus would say, look, you've heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus isn't going in a different direction. He's going deeper in the same direction. Why is he doing that? Because he wants us to move past rules-based religion and get to the heart of God. And there are two tempting stopping points that Jesus wants us to blast past. The first one, I think Jesus would say to us is, I want you to go deeper than what's popular or easy. I want you to go deeper than what's popular or easy. In verse 19 of the text that Mark read, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others, does them and teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of God. There always have been, and probably always will be, people who want to relax the teachings. How does Jesus feel about them? He says they're going to be called the least in the kingdom of God. In fact, there are some preachers that have become very popular, and some of them have become very wealthy by doing exactly this. By relaxing, making it easier, toning down what Jesus says. I was talking with a brother earlier this week, and we were talking about another brother that we love, respect in many ways, but we know he's got a problem that he doesn't yet realize he's got a problem with. Because he would tell you in a private conversation that if someone gets smart with you, or sarcastic with you, then you have every right to be sarcastic and mean back to them. This is a very popular preacher that we both know and love and have a very hard time getting along with. Is he relaxing what Jesus taught about your tongue? I believe that he is. But how many of us would rather be Loose with, you know, have permission to fight back. I don't know, maybe I'm alone in this room, but when I get disrespected, one of my big weaknesses is I want to fight back. I try to make it look a little bit more like Jesus, but I want to push back. You know, you punch me in the nose, zowie. (laughs) I want to come back hard. And yet Jesus says, not if you're following me. Not if you're following me. In fact, if you relax that standard for yourself and teach other people to do the same, which, by the way, we, we do that. We teach others to relax those, those rules, those just without even meaning to. 
If I allow myself to act that way, other people will learn it from me whether I ever tell them to or not. And it's not just preachers and elders and Bible teachers. It's every last one of us. So Jesus wants us to go deeper than what's popular or what's easy. I think he would also tell us, I want you to go deeper than the rules and the religious leaders. We've, to some extent, already kind of covered this territory, but just to nail it down, in verse 20 he said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were the very best at knowing the rules. But listen to me, knowing the rules didn't make them want what God wants. Have you found that a struggle in your life? You know, Jesus is going to, at some point in this sermon, Jesus is going to upset you. It could be what he says about anger. It could be what he says about sexuality. It could be what he says about forgiveness. It could be what he says about money or motives. Knowing the rules will not make you want what God wants, but digging deeper going deeper than the rules, going to the heart of God, transforms us. And it causes us to want what God wants. I think that's the biggest function of grace. That God divinely touches us on the inside so that nobody has to make us be obedient through a rule. We want to be obedient. And folks, that's freedom. That's not religion. That's relationship and that's freedom. Jesus wants me to do more than obey a standard in an outward, visible way. He wants me to obey it in an internal, heart-level way. I think what Jesus wants to say to us, what he, what he would say is, what I really want you to do is to go deeper in love. Deeper in love. I could obey all the rules in my marriage. And believe me, i got rules in my marriage. And... <laughs> A lot of those rules are really good for me, right, Chris? Yes, ma'am. And every other married person, by the way, you know I got some rules for her too, right? But if we just obey each other's rules, does that mean we really love each other? No, not by itself. But if I really love her, will I obey those rules? Even the silly ones, to my mind, silly ones, like no whistling in the house? (laughs) You got silly, if you're married, you got silly rules in your house too. I'm not judging. I've got a few of my own. But what Jesus wants us to do is, to, he really wants us to do is to go deeper in love. And I want to show this to you. I'm going to try to finish up and get us to really where I think the heart of this is about. It's in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus is talking with guess who again? Scribes and Pharisees. And they're asking him questions, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Catch attention to this. He said he didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, right? In verse 4 he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus just did in in this little space is he just summarized the entire Bible. Everything in the whole time. I mean, that's what he says, right? All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
The commandments are to love. Love's a big deal. Well, that's great. What's love? I love the Cubs. I love my wife. I love several other things. Are those all the same word? In English, it's the same word, but do I mean the same thing? No. And even if I'm dialed into what you know, this agapeo love that Jesus uses here in this verse, do I really understand what that looks like? Well, I think Jesus gives us some idea of what real love looks like. He says it one chapter later in Matthew 23, verse 23, and guess who he says it to? Same crowd, rule keepers, the scribes and the Pharisees, and this is what he says there. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These guys were actors. That's what a hypocrite is. They're an actor. They wanted to be seen as something that they weren't really. They wanted to be seen as lovers of God. They wanted to be seen as the guys who were deep. And they were superficial because all they knew were the rules. And he says, woe to them. He says, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? He tells us. But before we get into it, weightier matters of law and everything that the law and the prophets hang on, does that sound like the same thing? It does to me. So if everything that the law and the prophets hang on is love, and he's saying the weightier matters of the law are thus and so, my head, that means that love is what he's about to say. And the scribes and Pharisees, this, this tithing, mint, dill, and cumin, those were rules, and they were so tenacious, so um, meticulous in their observance of the rules, and Jesus isn't impressed. But he says, you've neglected the real thing, the weightier matters. You've neglected love. What's love? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The rules matter, but they don't matter a flip if you miss these three. See, now, if you tell me that i got to go love my hard-to-get-along-with neighbor, I might be confused. I might have a hard time because I may not be able to gin up warm, fuzzy feelings. You know, I, I'm trying to go over and knock on the door to bring a peach pie, and there's a cardinal's flag in the yard, and <laughs> the tension begins to build. Or, you know, there, or maybe it's somebody who's been horrible to me. How about you? You ever been betrayed? Ever been abused? How do you gin up warm, fuzzy feelings for someone who's treated you that bad? Is that what Jesus is? You want me to do what? Is that what he wants us to do? No, but if he's saying, I want you to do justice, mercy, and faithfulness, I can envision this. Now I've got, it's not about trying to gin up feelings, it's about my actions towards somebody. But that leaves us with a question. (laughs) Three, as a matter of fact. What is justice, what's mercy, and what's faithfulness? So let's hit it real quick. What is justice? Justice is not cheating someone or violating his or her rights. Whenever I do justice, I am not cheating someone. 
and I'm not violating his or her rights. It's easy for us to get confused about what our rights are, what another person's rights are in our social situation, because as Americans, we've got a bill of rights in our government. We talk about rights all the time. What rights are we talking about here? Do we get it from our Constitution? Or do we get them from God? God says every person has got some rights. One of them is to be valued. As we go through Jesus' sermon, I think we're going to find out more and more about the rights that he gives all people. If I'm going to do justice, I'm not going to cheat them of their God-given rights. And I'm not going to violate any of their rights. What's mercy? Mercy is not demanding your rights. I realize I'm being incredibly brief, and I'm not going real deep. We just don't have the time for me to flesh these out this morning. But as we go through Jesus' sermon, I think we'll understand more about what these mean and how they look in real day-to-day life. Mercy is not demanding your rights. So while God doesn't want me to cheat any of you of your rights, deprive you of them, or transgress against any of your rights, He wants me to not be demanding if you do violate mine. Think back about some of the conflicts we've had in our nation over the last couple of years. And all the screams demanding justice. What if they listened to Jesus, chose to be loving and understood that meant instead of demanding justice, doing justice? How many people in a demand for justice absolutely violated the rights of somebody else and were unjust? Didn't mean to, maybe. Maybe did it in ignorance, but that's kind of how this world works. And Jesus says, no, you need justice, mercy, and you need faithfulness. What's faithfulness? Faithfulness is a little easier. Faithfulness is being honest and keeping your word. Being honest, telling the truth, and doing what you say you'll do. And those three together... Give us a great picture of God. This is the heart of God. Is God just? Yeah, John 4.8, I believe it is. God is love. God is justice. God is infinitely just. But is God merciful? He's rich in mercy. He's got so much of it, he can't wait to give it away. He doesn't want to hold anybody's sins against them. He wants everyone to be saved. What about faithful? Does God tell the truth? Does He do what He say He'll do? Does He keep His word? He's faithful to us when we can't be faithful to Him. Or when we choose not to be faithful to Him. God loves us. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And we're made in His image to be like Him. And the weightier matter of the law Everything that the law and the prophets that Jesus did not do away with but fulfilled comes down to being loving. What he really wants from me is that I go deeper into love. And that's going to make me look for how to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with my God. In fact, whenever Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the scribes, again, he wasn't saying anything new because this was all said in Micah 6.8. In Micah 6.8, 
It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You want me to do what? This is what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. What happened to the scribes and Pharisees? What's happened to us? What can happen to us? The scribes and Pharisees forgot what Michael wrote about. They were more faithful to building and maintaining their own image than they were to being God's image bearers. Jesus called them hypocrites. They were actors. As followers of Jesus, one of the things that we got to guard against is just acting like we care about what God wants. We're settling for being seen as righteous rather than actually wanting to be righteous. You know what I'm talking about? Man, it's, it's so easy to miss this. But it's devastating if we do. Because Jesus says you can't enter the kingdom of heaven if all you care about is looking good. If all you care about is knowing the rules and trying to keep the rules. You've got to go deeper. I've got to go deeper. Because we're made to, we're made to not have faith in rules and our ability to keep those rules. We're made to have faith in Jesus. To have obedience to Him. Love goes beyond the frame of the laws. I'm going to try to see if this makes any sense to you. See this picture frame? Cute, huh? I picked it out myself on Amazon. I thought it would be much bigger. Which I bought it. I bought it for this illustration, and I got this little puny one in the mail. So hopefully this will make sense to you. But this looks all romantic, right? I mean, oh, it's a heart. I have no idea who these people are here in the middle. I should have taken that out before I tried to do the illustration. I don't know who they are. But what's the idea of having a frame like this? In my house, who should be in this frame? Me and my wife. I got, I got some wedding pictures. We had that back in the Stone Age. They were sketch artists, but we, <laughs> we, we got pictures of us getting married. And that would be appropriate, right? I would hang this on my wall or set it on my desk, and people would go, oh, look at that. Do you think they'd be going, look at that frame? Hopefully not, because if all they see is the frame. What if I put this on my wall and it's empty? What if I put it on my desk and it's empty? What are people going to think? Uh, nobody loves you? You don't love anybody? Why would you have a heart shaped? And what I'm telling you is the scribes and the Pharisees settled for an empty frame. There was supposed to be a picture of God. There was supposed to be a picture of Jesus in here. All of this outside were those laws and those rules. And what Jesus showed us and what these rules did was show us what was in the middle to show us the heart of God, which is love. Doing justice, loving mercy, humility, and faithfulness. And if we're going to do better than the Pharisees, we got to not just have an empty frame with a whole bunch of rules about how to do church, about how to vote, about, I mean, we can make up some crazy stuff, right? It's got to be about love. 
we got to look like Jesus. And to get there, he's going to teach us about doing justice, loving mercy, and being faithful. I'm going to quit right there. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be done this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you'll help us to see and value your heart more than we do the framework of rules that we sometimes gravitate to. Father, I pray that you'll help us to go deeper, to go deeper in love. Help us, Father, not to, to think that we don't need to know what your Bible says, that we can just listen to somebody else who seems to know what the Bible says. Father, help us not to use the Bible to come up with weapons and rocks to throw at other people, to tell them how they're wrong and puff up our chests and tell us how we're right. The world has got enough of that. But Father, help us to look into the Bible and look deeper, to understand why you gave us those rules and to see your heart and then to imitate that heart. Father, we pray that you'll change our hearts to soften our hearts. Help us to repent of having hard hearts and not to be settling for an empty frame with nothing in it. Not to be confused like that. Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us when we mess it up. Father, I thank you for Jesus teaching us that he wants us to go deeper and for making it possible through your spirit for that to exactly happen. Father, I pray that as we walk away from this lesson this morning that we won't walk away unchallenged, that we won't just forget about it and go on with the week, but that we'll begin to look for how we can do justice to the people that we encounter, how we can love mercy, and how we can act with faithfulness. Father, I pray that you'll give us a hunger, a deep hunger, for knowing what Jesus wants us to do. And then, Father, I pray that you'll help us to understand it and to begin through your power to make the changes that we need to so that you can be seen by the world for who you are, that you can use us to change the world we live in. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.